following podcast is work safe. Welcome to a very special mini-sode, a mini-sode gaming on the fringe. We're not going to cross over to the dark side. We're going to cross over to the navy blue side of video gaming. And, of course, we're going to justify it up front so you don't get the wrong idea. Joining me on the Skype from coast to coast of the United States of America, we have Tupai R on the west. How's it going, everybody? And Kyle Von Kubik on the east. Hello. And I am right in the east also. Today we're going to talk about some sort of thing that is perhaps questionable in some people's eyes, especially people that don't understand it. But we will most likely be talking a little bit about emulation. Necessary. Necessary emulation, I say. Oh. Because how else would you play Mustache Boy unless you would emulate it? You cannot. Absolutely. And it's worth pointing out that in 2007, the DMCA was amended specifically to exclude emulation from the list of things that it was absolutely verboten for you to do ever. Fantastic. And we're even going to perhaps talk about emulators that are doing it the right way. And believe it or not, there is such a thing out there. But what I want to set up before we get into this is what we're not doing. We're not talking about modifying your system, putting a chip in it so that you can go out and stick it to the man um, and, you know, make a backup uh, air quotes, copies of your games that you're renting. Uh, I never did anything like that. I know you have. Of course not. When the Dreamcast lost its life because of this rampant release of titles before they even hit store shelves, you were able to download them on the Internet. As long as you had two days to wait for the download to happen, you were all good back in the day. But we see what happens when this type of thing gets out of hands with the Dreamcast. And we all loved the Dreamcast. I I think everyone on We Talk Games talked about their admiration for the Dreamcast and, and that's a type of sad thing that can actually happen yeah. and it also has to do with the ease of which the modifications can come about but we're talking about the love of video games, the love of nostalgia, the love of just experiencing perhaps a childhood memory and not even that something that's especially unique with me and, and the um, applications that I'll be talking about today is my main attraction to this type of thing, gaming on the fringe, is more to see if I can make it work and the collection part of it and really less about playing things. I mean, I play it every now and again. I got it to work. Now my interest is gone. Sure. Exactly. It's it's sort of like baseball cards. You know, you work and and you trade and you and you haggle to put together this album and you say, "Yes, I've done it." And then it goes up on a shelf and just sits there forever. Right. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And that's I think is the appeal to people that are interested in technology and people that are interested in video games. You probably won't have a lot of people that just like the Maddens and the Space Marines that would go through all this trouble to make this type of thing happen and work. Uh, so I know that Tupayar was the person that mentioned that he had this uh, one internet device that you can buy legally, and I was an early adopter of the Game Park 32, the GP32. Oh, classic. Yeah, so, so I had that, and I was doing the 
games I already own for the Turbo Graphics, and let's face it, this was pretty ahead of its time, even in its of itself, because many of the Korean Game Park 32 games you would download, and you download to a little one of those floppy uh, cards. It wasn't it wasn't quite the SD cards. It was. Uh, you know, a floppy mini card. It was uh, those weird ones. But you have one of these newer devices that I've been seeing on the internet. What is the actual name of this? Do we know? Uh, the actual name of this on the case, it says A320. Uh, somewhere in the manual, it says Game King, but it doesn't say that anywhere else, either in the manual or on the company's website. So I'm not sure what a Game King is. It might be like a Burger King, except with video games. <laughs> Now, I just I, hope they have better fries. Ooh. Yeah. It's not bad, actually. Yeah, no lard in those. But that's, uh, let's not, yes, let's not talk about uh, fast food <laughs> restaurants, not. no. Uh, un- unless we talk about the Burger-, Burger King plastic hand puppets from the 1970s. That's what the only about thing. The, the Xbox games? Oh, right. Sneak More King. More on that later. Yeah, we'll back King, back think, to what we were talking that, about. Hey, you know what? I got to tell you, on a scale of ickiness, that makes me feel much worse playing those games than it does any emulator I've ever played ever. So, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> At least with uh, emulators, you can have a, a certain level of self-respect that you were geekly <laughs> enough to get it to work. With the Burger King games, you're just sort of playing them. <laughs> and, and you feel like you're stealing when you're playing those games. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> you're weird. feeling like your time was stolen from you anyway. <laughs> uh, King so we're Park. all in an agreement that the best video game about fast food is Burger Time? Yes. We are really getting off topic, and I guess it's easy to do because, you know, you want to watch what you say so that you don't get banned by the big uh, companies we deal with. But uh, that notwithstanding, now, I think the easiest way for me to understand which handheld device this is is the price. I think there's one that's around 100 bucks and one that's around 200 bucks. The only real exposure I have to the ones that you can get legally are through a website called ThinkGeek, which is just sort of an online boutique that specializes in nerdy kind of stuff that people that are smart and connected to the internet might be interested in. Sure. They offer two models, the one that I have, which is 100 bucks, and a slightly beefier one, which is 150 Okay. Uh, that one is specifically designed to handle uh, MAME, which of course is the multi-arcade machine emulator, uh, which allows you to replay all the classic games that were in the arcades. This one is aimed more at the 8 and 16-bit home console systems, I your see. Nintendo Entertainment System, your Sega Genesis, that sort of thing. You mentioned about that legal lease type of thing uh, occurring, and as a matter of fact, I guess the original NES has been uh, public domain for quite a number of years. In fact, all these little devices that you just plug in as a one-off into your television with one audio and one video cable, uh, even if it emulates something like the Commodore 64 or the Intellivision, it's most likely running an emulator of that system on the NES architecture. Here's the way it works. If you started only with the output and figured out through your own original machinations how to produce it, then whatever you came up with as a result of that was perfectly legal. I see. Oh, I did not know that. And in uh, 2007, the exemption they made to the DMCA said that when you buy a video game, what you're buying is the license to utilize the software. So provided that the hardware that you're utilizing that software on came to its execution method legally, then it was legal to utilize the software in that method, even if it was something other than what was originally designed and copyrighted back in the day. So as a result of that, all of these things you plug in your television, these little handhelds like the A320, 
provided that they ship them only with software that they've either created or licensed themselves, it's mm. all perfectly legal to distribute it, to purchase it, to do whatever with it. I see, I see. Sure, and that's why we're seeing those uh, retro consoles, too, that you know they, they have a Nintendo and a Super Nintendo in one box. That's also why you tend to see them bundled with all the games. You know, you, you tend to see the Pac-Man collection or the Namco collection rather than the Nintendo collection because the company, that, you know, you only have to get the license from one company that way. So as long as all the software comes from the same point, it's just one contract, one deal, you're done. Right, and a lot of them have, instead of Bust-A-Move, they have, like, Bob-A-Move. Right, yeah, I love the crappy <laughs> Korean knockoffs yes. of games as well. Blob Amive, I think it's called. So let's let's hear about this uh, Game King that you got here. Oh, just a real quick oh, addendum. Okay. It's actually $180 for the, uh, the oh, Mame okay. Amigo emulator. Very good. good Sorry. Let's hear about Game King. The A320 Game King is just a little system. Uh, it has a custom operating system called Dingu Digital, D-I-N-G-O-O. Out of the box, it comes with emulators for NES, SNES, Sega Genesis, GBA, and for some reason, the arcade games from Neo Geo and Capcom. Mm. Okay, CP1, uh, I guess. You, of course, have to uh, you know, obtain the ROMs through whatever legal machination you have. <laughs> you know, that is your personal choice to obtain the ROMs through. Once you obtain them, it, it couldn't be easier to use. It has four gigs of internal flash memory, so it's all solid state. Hmm. You just connect it to your USB, copy the ROMs into the right directories, unplug it, and start playing. There's no pre-configuration necessary. You don't have to download any patches. It just works right out of the box. Oh, that's nice. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I'm looking at a picture of it. It kind of. How does it feel when you're holding your hands? Because it kind of looks maybe a little cheap. How does it feel when you're holding it? It feels reasonably solid. Um, I've actually dropped it from about three feet and had no oh, effects. Okay. Um, you know, that's, that's the ultimate test right there. It does the Absolutely. same thing that the old-style Game Boys did, which is it has a sort of a plexiglass cover over the screen so oh, that no, nothing that's really delicate is exposed. And there's some decent weight to it. it you know, it's, it's, it's clearly not the most solid device ever built, but you don't, sure. you're not afraid that you're going to, you know, in a moment of panic, squeeze it a little too hard and punch right through it or anything. All right, cool. That's cool to know. And how's the screen now? Is it backlit? The screen is backlit. And the LED technology is advanced to the point that even being backlit, um, you can get about six to eight hours worth of actual real-world playtime on a single charge. Oh, wow. That's good. And it charges right through the USB port. If you really want to, you can just leave it plugged into your computer. It also ships with an adapter that you can plug into the USB so that you can just plug it into a power outlet and charge it that way. And the really cool thing is it also comes with an integrated uh, left audio, right audio video cable so that you can plug it into your TV and get a really old school feel playing these games, you know, on your 42-inch 1080p LCD digital televisions. Oh, that's very cool. That's very And just to give our listeners an idea of what this looks like in case they're not in front of a computer like I am, uh, picture uh, Nintendo DS with the top half cut off. That's basically what it looks like, correct? More or less. Um, you've got uh, across on the left, you've got four face buttons on the right, and you've got two triggers. That's really my only complaint is that the triggers have very small buttons that are positioned about an inch further out than where your fingers sort of naturally rest. So you kind of have to really think about using those as opposed to like a GBA where your whole finger, you know, the whole top surface is the button and wherever you put it, it's just naturally going to work. But apart from that, I mean, for a hundred bucks, you can't complain. 
Very good. Uh, well, I mentioned that there is some type of emulation done right. The emulator I'm referring to here is Daphne. And if you haven't heard of Daphne, this is the emulator. Oh, I've heard of Daphne. Okay. Very good. Uh, named after the heroine, Daphne, from the Dragon's Lair series. Is it a laser disc emulator? It is a laser disc emulator, as a matter of fact. And they have done this right in the fact that it has its own built-in torrent server. So you oh, can... okay. You can, Excellent. Yes, you can get the games for Daphne, for all the laser disc ROMs that are out there. But... If it is a ROM that is still protected under any copyright laws or becomes protected, like the Dragon's Lair, like the Space Ace, Dragon's Lair 2. Um, damn Don Bluth. <laughs> give it up already. Uh, cliffhanger. And eh, there's one more. Not Don Quixote. Well, maybe it is Don Quixote. If it's something that is still protected under copyright laws, you have to own a purchased version of this game. Now, you can own it for your PlayStation 2, for your computer, or what have you. It, it can recognize many different versions of these titles that were released legitimately. Then you put that version into your computer... Uh, so far, I think this is PC only. Uh, you know, one of the the only two things that PCs are good for is, of course, uh, copying things illegally and solitaire. There we go. But you put your original version of the game in there. It goes zip, 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 tests a couple directories and whatnot, and it says, "Bing, you own this, and now you can download it and play this game." So they've really gone out of their way in Daphne to make it a legitimate type of emulation. That's very cool. Sounds similar to what MP3.com was doing with its instant listening thing way back in the day. Mm. I was a member of that when they, when they started. The way that I interface to Daphne is through what is called a front end. I've brought up front ends before. One of the most amazing front ends has to be Hyperspin. This is a front end to different sorts of emulators. Almost every emulator that you could think of, CDI and 3DO and everything uh -huh. else, uh, this Hyperspin can be an interface to those emulators. Now, it doesn't come with any of the emulators. It doesn't come with any ROMs. It comes with very little images of games with titles. You have to download everything separately and and it is a very complex type of front end to implement. There's there's no kit out there. Sure. But when you can put this together, it is truly astonishing and something that I have no idea why a big company that wanted to repackage their titles, release the greatest hits, would not try to buy uh, the technology, the people behind us, some of the, the talent behind us, because this is simply the most elegant execution of any type of selection screen that I've ever seen. The way that it works is that you'll have a main title screen. It will come up with a very beautiful opening that looks like it was made in After Effects or, or Motion or some such thing. And it utilizes uh, Flash, I believe, uh, quite a bit. And it's also in connection with another online internet group that escapes my, uh, that the name escapes me right now, that goes through and makes actual little video clips of every single emulated game. Like Neo Geo, they'll have all these little video clips of them. So when you shuffle through, when you spin through these different games, you will be treated to 
maybe the main character of that game flying across the screen and then the logo of that game coming up really big and all this animation and all the while while a little video monitor type uh, box will show you actual gameplay from the game and you might even have the sound effects from it or something like this like let's say it's Mega Man or something Mega right. Man will come up he'll shoot a missile out of his arm and then his dog will fly by and then you see the game in the background and things like this so it's really a gorgeous interface and all the while there's this um, you know arcade type of sound in the background and it and can, this is what eggs you on to do this collecting correct I oh. mean this is what you talking about earlier is that you want to make this almost uh perfect you yeah. know the, the clips and the just fill out this front end definitely even if you don't have the emulator or the roms for like i i have my turbo graphics collection and the pc engine collection all complete on the hyperspin but i don't own all those roms i don't own all of those games <laughs> that would be in there so i just go through and collect the movies for these things and and just have this gorgeous interface but once again like i said this is pretty complex a thing to even get to work you know at all right it's definitely not something for the technologically faint of heart you have to be familiar with your filing system definitely and you have to even put a line of code okay i want this emulator to launch but then it needs to go with the you know certain switches minus f minus g that type of thing and then also yeah. launch this type of uh, other thing after it and it's, so if it's you quite can't complex. figure out mame you are definitely not figuring this out no no <laughs> uh, and and it does use a lot of the older versions of emulators and things like that as well the more manual versions so that's hyperspin now recently i ran into hyperpin and i gotta tell you just looking at some of these things on youtube might give you just as much satisfaction as owning them so uh, you might want to youtube it up a little bit on these things but hyperpin is of course the cousin of hyperspin except that it deals with things like pin mame and um, virtual pinball and other types of pinball emulators now these pinball emulators are built like sort of like in an autocad by people that own these machines they will also contain <laughs> have a lot of time <laughs> have a lot of time definitely because they go through and they do all the pins they do all the bumpers they calculate the tension on this type of thing the power of this uh, solenoids and uh, and then they will also go through as well and include the roms that might drive the dot matrix screen or something like that and they also create the backboards well i saw somebody doing this and i said i have got to try this so i got hyperpin and i i believe i picked up two machines maybe the kiss pinball machine and one of my uncle's pinball machines which i always loved which is called royal guard and yes. uh, it's a very very obscure title so i put these two things in there i did this that and the other um you have to once again it's a little complex you have to go through and manually set up how you want to stretch the screens you have to put in a couple switches so that certain elements of the pinball machine don't show up and then you actually use two monitors so the one will be your normal 
HD television, and that will be your play field. And then another smaller monitor will fit on top of more three by four type of monitor will fit on top of your television, and that will act as your backboard. And if it has rollers that scroll through numbers, it'll do that. If it has a dot matrix screen, it'll do that. And I actually did this in my living room, but I didn't go to the extent of laying down my television and uh, and you know putting the the other monitor on top and things like this. I just I stood up my HD TV, and uh, unfortunately. I could not reach the top with my other monitor. I had to just stick it to the side. But I did it, and it was a lot of fun. Hyperpin is the front end that can pull all of this together. But once again, you'll need to... This is even more obscure because the community that does pinball emulation is very small in comparison to the people that, you know, have experienced main sure. or something like yeah, that. No, that only makes sense. I got to ask, though, and obviously it's a different experience because it's a video pin versus the physical table. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after you do this and uh, it's cool that you have this complex thing set up and you did all the work. Is it the same sensation at all, or is it just sort of like, all right, this is cool that I'm able to emulate it? Like, is it the actual product, or is it the act of putting these things together that really makes this enjoyable? Exactly. It's making it happen. That's what it is for me. It's it's making right. it happen. Hey, I can do this. This is really cool. Hyperpin also has the amazing flash style interface where you spin through the different tables. And then, Now, that is something that will come with the playing field and the backfield and things like that. So you can actually just install Hyperpin and look through all the different artworks and things like this for the pinball tables, cool. even if you don't have any of the emulators on your system. Yeah, but, well, that, that community might be small, but it sure is dedicated. Mm-hmm. When Sniggy talked about the virtual pinball tables, the I definitely pin. looked into it. Yeah, Ultra and, Pin. Mm-hmm. Ultra Pin, yeah. And I, uh, I gotta say, like, I'd rather, I mean, personally, rather play Funhouse than play an emulation of Funhouse or play the Adams Family table. Sure, sure. Instead of the emulation. But that being said, I think it's awesome. I think it's really cool. And at $4,000, it's the same price as a, a regular pinball table. And, uh, you know, with a consumer mindset, it only makes sense. You buy the pinball table that can play 500 12. pinball <laughs> tables you well, know what i'm saying but yeah, for me it, i think something's lost when you, you get rid of the whole analog feel of it sure sure yeah you know it to me it's definitely a step in between hyperpin ultra pin and then and now ultra pin has a very similar in, interface to hyperpin except that it's 12 licensed tables you actually the money is going to the people that created these things or somebody i don't know who but uh it, you know it's definitely going to a, a more legitimate way it's sort of like the virtual console of pinball machine emulation i guess and when these ultra pins first came out they were kind of sketchy they they really weren't that good but recently they've gone through a series of updates and their um flipper physics and the um the the whole physics of the ball and everything has really improved and and gone leaps and bounds so uh we're we're fortunate you and i kyle because we live within a delivery radius of uh, a place that sells this ultra pin for like uh, thirty four hundred dollars but still uh, it's a huge <laughs> the chunk checks of change. in the mail yeah. but what you're saying is now we know what to get you for your birthday exactly yeah i'll pitch in <laughs> i'm Thank adding you. it to my wish list now <laughs> yes uh, but like you mentioned you know a thousand dollars less than a a new pinball table from stern not to yeah. try to take 
take any way from buying, you know, Spider Man or The Simpsons or Yeah, please don't because they're on their last legs over there. Yeah, they definitely straight. They definitely need it. But I think as your second table, Ultra Pin would be a great fit. And it has the distinct advantage of you don't have to know anybody that has an advanced mechanical degree to keep it maintained for you as time goes on. Absolutely. And that's the other thing, you know. You just go down to the Circuit City uh, webpage and you buy a new uh, HD television and stick it inside your glass. <laughs> yeah, that costs nothing. Hey, you know what? Now that 3D television's out, they're they're all like, hey, here's a 96-inch flat screen. $10. <laughs> it's silly what's going on with this. I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait till the prices drop that low. It um, won't take long. I mean, seriously speaking, I just got a 42-inch TV, 1080p, for 500 bucks. Literally oh, just because it doesn't do 3D. Yeah. Uh, th- this is this is a scary time. Uh, this is either going to blow up in everyone's face and then the prices will go back up, or it will render our current uh, living room stair box obsolete. So I'm, I'm sorry if I got to sit there with glasses on my face. <laughs> It's not. It's not happening. I'm not doing that. I hear you. I hear you. It's not you. enjoyable for me. Um, you know what? If you're going to bring back things from the '50s, bring back smell-o-vision. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. Moving on. Scratch and sniff the uh, thing as you go. Probably just worth noting one more thing, which is that uh, if you're a Macintosh user, emulation is somewhat easier than it is on Windows. The Windows scene and the Linux scene both are sort of built around the assumption that the users are technically capable. You have a lot of different front ends, a lot of different emulators, a lot of different ROMs, a lot of manual configuration for all of these systems. The Mac versions tend to have a, a much more integrated approach. The Mac version of MAME, for instance, the front end is integrated directly into the system. The ROM auditing is integrated directly into the system. Literally, all you have to do is obtain a couple of files, put them in a couple of directories, and you're good to go. Yeah. Uh, so if you're if you're somebody who's interested. Uh, but not necessarily technically able. If you have access to a Mac, it might be a, somewhat of a gentler learning curve for getting started. And there's actually a uh, a very nice front end for for the Mac um, emulation as well. Although right now I cannot think of it, and nor do I have it in my shortcuts. So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm at a bit of a loss there. But uh, I, I know I've spoken about this before, and that was actually quite the cake to set up you just uh, from inside the application you just select where your different uh, emulators are and things like this and zip bang it works and hey if i can just add something and maybe we can get deeper into this on another episode of the fringe of gaming mm-hmm. there's a huge homebrew community out there for all of these old retro consoles and they put out roms for free and some of the stuff is complete garbage but there are a few a few gems out there worth checking out so definitely if you're going to do the emulation process check out the homebrew community i'm sure they'll appreciate it and you might find yourself having a good time definitely definitely speaking of super gluing the family guy action figures from walmart onto a pinball play field let's revisit mugen shall we uh, i know everyone's cringing out there <laughs> Recently, I had a hankering to get back into Mugen. Now, if you don't know what this is, it's multiple Yugens. 
I can't remember what the acronym stands Evidently for. Evidently, it's 1996, everybody. <laughs> yes. but that's when I was playing this. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, it, it's been around for a long time. It really hasn't improved since it started, <laughs> but it definitely still has a following. And the, the following of this Mugen um, ebbs and flows, and it... It's really only been available for PC. I think there is a Linux version out there that you have to compile yourself or something. Uh, not sure. But, boy, I'll tell you what, if they had a Mac version of this, I'm sure that it would become a lot more popular and probably raise the quality of it as the PC folks try to make their version better. But mm -hmm. this is a game where you can do things that you cannot do anywhere else. And what it is, it's a big fighting game engine. It's a fighting game engine that is crash-prone, unbalanced, but it's a mixed bag of the most awesome and the most Bush League game creation ever made. And it's all made by just independent programmers. Some people that'll go through and they'll trace uh, the actual pixels from fighting games. They'll create their own new characters. They'll take characters from games that have nothing to do with fighting, like uh, Capcom's Aliens game, the arcade game Aliens. And... You could be someone in a big mechanical suit. You could be the Queen Mother and things like this. But here you can take fighting game characters and battle them against one another that you never thought you would be able to do to before. Uh, Beavis versus Butthead, Sonic, Fred Flintstone, Wario, Plastic Man, the Transformers, SNK characters, Capcom characters, Dragon Ball characters, anime, who's a what's it? I don't even know. All these anime geeks, they get into this and they make all their favorite anime characters and 13 versions of people I've never heard of. What is this even from? Marvel versus DC, Power Instinct. You could take the team of Leona and Mega Man versus Magneto and a Metroid. Yeah. You can do it. <laughs> you can do Fat Albert versus Popeye versus Akuma versus Aquaman. One of the best designers for this is uh, a, a fellow by the name of Loganeer and Scruffy Dragon. And they created some of the most beautifully animated and most complex fighting game characters I've ever seen. They've, they made Wonder Woman and they made Thor. And these two characters are jaw-droppingly gorgeous. Uh, in their animation, in their presentation, in the side characters that they draw on through special moves, like Wonder Woman will have uh, do one special move and all of her Amazon compatriots will ride horses through the entire screen. And it's just a massive wave of these horses and Amazon women. And she will use her magic lasso on you. She will do all these other types of crazy things. Thor will have his uh, his rogues gallery, uh, Volstog and all uh, the, uh, the other two, who I can never remember their names. Um, they'll come down. He'll summon great lightning bolts, all this amazing upheaval. And I got to tell you, I mean, it blows away some of Capcom's top artists. It's, it's really, truly amazing that this is from two fellas. And something that's even more amazing is if you battle Wonder Woman against Thor, and if Wonder Woman wins, you will be treated to like a minute-long Death of Thor type of thing where it starts <laughs> raining, there's puddles that are forming, Wonder Woman goes over and she's pure enough that she can lift Molnir, his uh, hammer, and then she becomes, like Beta Ray Thor before her, if you're a comic geek, uh, she becomes a Thor Wonder Woman and then she flies off. So, I mean, how can you not 
pop and mark out for that as a comic fan. <laughs> it's just truly amazing. But be warned, it is incredibly unbalanced. You know, I love Popeye, but if I want to do my Popeye against someone's creation of Wolverine or <laughs> someone that created, you know, these Mario marks that create uh, Mario in here, they just make them so incredibly powerful. What, what are you talking? There's no fighting games with the Super Mario franchise in them. What are you? I'm telling you, Mugen. Oh, yeah. right. Oh. <laughs> yes, they only but- made like one. Oh. No, they made several. Of them. And yeah. the the funny thing is, Link is like the Link from the CDI. So nice. yeah, and like I said, you, you know, get those creepy animations in between his uh, <laughs> fights with the faces in the CDI contorting and everything. It is kind of creepy. I didn't play too much with Link, but I did play with Popeye, and I love playing with Popeye because Alice the Goon is there. Uh, Olive Oil is in a hot air balloon. Wimpy comes up as your second. And like I say, you know, you could fight against Scorp- you know, Scorpion from Mortal Kombat versus The Thing. Hagar's even in it. Finally, I think John- Johnny Capcom and I talked about, when's Hagar going to be in a game? Well, he's in it. The funniest, the funniest thing about it is though that Hagar is the exact animation from the Final Fight series, and he only has two buttons that he could do <laughs> his regular Final Fight moves. So, right. so you have guys that are you know uh, what a quarter of the screen from like say uh, the Street Fighter series, and then you have Hagar that's proportionately <laughs> half the size of these other fellas, and it's just hilarious to try to watch these animations go on against each other. And I know that they did this too with. Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock from the Fire Pro series. So you had these little versions of The Rock and these little versions of Stone Cold Steve Austin doing super moves on Street Fighter Gang. Dahl is in there, Guile, Scorpion, The Thing, Peter Griffin, Homer Simpson, Captain Caveman. Uh, it, it's truly amazing, but once again, it's a crashy mess. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mixed bag on control. There's even a watch mode, which is just as frustrating because <laughs> the characters are so unbalanced that you really don't get to see a good battle between the people you think that would be very funny. Um, the best way to play this is two-player, you know, play it with your buddy and then it might be a little more even all in all once again it's just fun to collect when you get to see several hundred characters on a selection screen here's another game where you have to go in and every time you add a new character you have to add a line of uh you know what their background should be what their sound should be what their animation should be and things like this now I'm sure out there you might be able to find a Mugen complete set and different versions, variations of that. But it's more for the collecting, more for the the hilarity of it. And it's a lot more fun, I think, to watch on the YouTube. So when are we going to see Holy Cow versus (laughs) Ronald McDonald? And see, I brought it back full circle. We were talking about fast food and we end with fast food. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us for the Fringe of Gaming, a trip to the navy blue side of the force come to the darker side we have cookies (laughs) yes yes okay everyone take care we'll see you next time on our breakout bonus level minisodes or the we talk games flagship show proper bye now bye bye